Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As you clap, go ahead and stand up. As Tanner said, thank you so much for being here on this rainy day. Thank you to our third, or thank you for being here for our third installment of Save a Seat. We're going to begin out of Luke chapter 15, verses 21 through 24, and we'll get to that here in a second. You know, the older you get, the different your mornings look. You guys that are not there yet, you'll understand. And it's crazy how exciting they can be when really nothing is happening. I'm telling you, I had one of the best mornings ever. I got up about 2.30 this morning. I got to smoke brisket. I got to study World War II. I got to listen to Jerry Reed. And I got to watch a little bit of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> it was fulfilling. I don't know how theological it was, but it felt good. <laughs> So uh, I'll hopefully all that will make sense here in a moment. But let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your love. Thank you for what you're trying to accomplish in our hearts. And I pray that we would allow it to happen. So let us be open for what you want to say. Holy Spirit, you have the freedom. In the name of Jesus, everyone says, Amen. 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 Wave at your neighbor as you sit down. Let them know you're glad to see them. As we begin here, one of the things that I want to start out saying is thank you. Thank you for being a part of our team. Thank you for what we're doing here. Since the, really the inception, if you will, of Ray Hope over 40 years ago, the desire has been, has been simply to be dreamers. That we want God to put a dream in our heart and then act upon that dream and see what God will not do. And for many of you, you guys have walked those many, many years. Many of us have jumped in mid-train or at the end here or wherever you have. We just want you to know that we're so grateful that you're here and you're a part of what God's doing. Amen? And as we look at this campus, and that's what we were love to refer to it as, is a campus because we believe that it's from here that we are a beacon of light shining the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in us and also through here. That kids will come here and become educated. Hope Academy of Stevens County. That we have mentoring classes and Sunday school classes and youth programs and kids programs. And we have all kinds of ministry because our desire is to really reach our Jerusalem. Amen? To really reach that God not only do we want to reach that but God we believe that through your grace and mercy that we can impact the world right here from Comanche Oklahoma amen yes and you get to be a part of that amen and thank you thank you for dreaming with us thank you for being part of the dream team because God's got big plans and we get to be right in the middle of it you know one of the things about a preacher is you can almost make a sermon out of anything I was lifting weights and doing some exercise the other day and I was listening to some old country. Why? Because I just like it. I don't know. They say more cowbell. I think we need more banjo. So, oh, some of you got that. I'm so proud of you. But I was listening to it the other day. I was listening to Jerry Reed and East, Bound and East Down and Bound. Anybody know that song? Yeah, I was singing that. I was listening to it on the way here. You know? And there's a lot of stuff in there, but what, what, what his theory is to the song, and what I want to say is I'm not saying outrun the cops. That never turns out good for you. Just watch the movie, watch the show Cops, and you'll see that. I don't do that. I'm certainly not saying that's okay. And I really don't care who's thirsty and who we need to get alcohol, alcoholic beverages to. I'm not promoting that either. But I love what it says in there that we're going to do something that they say can't be done. 
And I'll begin to think about us as I begin to work out and begin to do those things. And my blood begins to pump because we begin to talk about vision and what is God is doing. And, and how many times have people looked at the church and looked at the situation and said, well, I don't know if that can be done. Well, we've got to push those opinions to the side and say, God, what do you say? And you say that all things are possible. So we're going to do some things and continue to do some things. Amen. The very last verse of that, we're sanctifying this song this morning, just in case you want to know. The very last verse of that, and he ain't going to rest talking about the police officer. Once again, pull over. It's going to be cheaper for you. And he ain't going to rest till you're in jail. So you got to dodge and you got to duck and you got to keep that diesel trucking. Just put the hammer down and, well, we'll stop right there. <laughs> Some of you younger ones are like, what song are you talking about? Go YouTube it. It's pretty good. But the reality is we want to dodge and we want to duck to be dreamers because God has called us to something. Whenever Paul talks about in Ephesians about the armor of God, so the question is, can you dodge and duck and also hang, uh, stand firm on your ground and move forward? Well, if we think about the Roman soldier, I don't know about you, but if a spear was being launched at me or an arrow was being shot at me, I don't think I'd be like, bring it on, man. I'd be dodging and ducking at the same time that I'm moving forward and gaining ground. I'd be dodging and ducking at the same moments that I'm standing firm in what I'm trying to do for God. Amen? So thank you for being dreamers. Thank you for being a part of that. Dodge and duck, and we need to do what we can do so that we can go to the places that God has called us. Amen? So thank you for being part of the dream team. And as we read this story here, as we read this parable, what we see is a father who's dreaming. As I look into this parable, it's amazing to think about the father. And he's dreaming for the most important thing that he can possibly dream for. And it's not buildings, and it's not more money, it's not bigger bank accounts, or, or, or a higher um, intelligence, but rather, he is dreaming for his son to come home. He's dreaming for his son to change his life and come back. The scripture tells us that the wisest thing we can do is win souls. So the greatest thing that we can dream for is souls. And here we see a father who is really dreaming that. And today as we speak on save a seat, and we're talking about at the table, today we're going to talk specifically about forgiveness. You can take this parable and read it 6, 10, 12 different times, and each time get something new out of it because it's an amazing parable. Today we're just going to concentrate on forgiveness. Save a seat for forgiveness. For when we save a seat for forgiveness, we make room for other things in our life. But what I have to do is I have to do justice to this story. And we have to paint a picture. Many times we read the text and we think about it as Americans or maybe in the context that we think. And we have to be careful because it's a Middle Eastern book. That's what the Bible is. It was written through Middle Eastern eyes and Jewish eyes. And we have to understand what they, under, what they meant by honor. And I want to bring up some wounds that the father faced because really it's the prodigal son or the son who lived a wasteful, lavish life, if you will. But it could also be easily said the, the tale of two sons because we have the father, then we have the younger brother who goes out and spends all of his money, and then we have the younger one who's upset because the younger one came back and dad was excited about it. Sounds like a couple brothers, doesn't it? And here, as we're about to read in verse 21 of chapter 15, I want to fill you into what's happened up so far. The young man went to his father and he said, Dad, I'm ready for my stuff. I'm ready for what you owe me. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
I'm ready for what you have, what I'm entitled to. Go ahead and fork it over, Dad. Now, this is Matt reference, okay? It starts in verse 11. And he continues, Dad, give me, give me my half of the estate or give me my third of the estate, technically. Give it to me. And the father does. And then he gets, collects all the stuff, and then he goes into a far country, and he begins to spend it on wine, women, and song, if you will. And what he does is he lives a wasteful life. And then there's a severe famine who hits the, that hits the land. Then all of a sudden he finds himself in a pig pen because he's out of money, he's out of resources, that's the only job he could get. And this is significant because in the Jewish culture, the last thing they would want to be around is pigs. They wouldn't do it. So he finds himself in a pig pen in the muck and the mire looking at the slop that the pigs were eating and saying, that looks really good right now. Now, I'm going to be honest. I've been hungry. But I've never looked into a slop bucket <laughs> and thought, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. That shows you the desperate situation that he was in. And finally, it says that the scripture says that he came to himself. And he thought, if I go back to my father, tell him that I'm a sinner, ask him for forgiveness, and I can just become one of the servants in his household. I'll tell him that I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant in the household. I know that they get treated better than what I'm getting treated right now. You know, nobody's going to treat you like your heavenly father is going to treat you. You just got to trust him. He finally has that epiphany. And he goes back to his father. His father, now we want to be careful because I have heard it preached that he was sitting out on the porch looking for his son. Remember, he had an estate to manage, so he was busy. But like any other parent who really loves their children, you have that aching inside of you that says, God, I want them back. God, turn their hearts. God, there's no doubt that morning after morning and evening after evening and lunchtime, sitting at the, looking at the table in the empty seat saying, God, would you bring my son home? So it's no doubt that whenever he's doing whatever he's doing, and he looks out and he begins to see his son, that he actually runs to the son. See, the father in the parable is saving a seat for forgiveness so he can make room for other things. Because when we have unforgiveness in our heart, it closes us up and we just don't have any more room for any of the good stuff that God intends us. It's hard to be a dreamer of what's going to happen when you're still thinking about what has happened. And, and let's pick up in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He lost, he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now the rest of the story, the older brother's working out in the field and he's not very happy. He walks up on the house. And he asks the servants, what is going on? And they say, your younger brother has come home. They fill him in on the situation. And he begins to talk and begins to have a dialogue with his dad. And the reality about the elder son, and we can't get to that today, but if you took the elder son's attitude and put it up to the younger son's attitude, it was the same thing. The only thing is the elder son was there and the younger son just came back. But he goes to his dad and he says, this is your son. 
Basically, why is he back? He squandered all of the life savings and different things like that. And why is he even back? Why are we throwing this party? And that's when the dad looks at him because he says, you never threw a party for me. Sticks out his bottom lips and stomps his foot. Don't we do that to God sometimes? Why are you making me go through this? And then he speaks to our heart and he said, because of your bad decision. And conviction should go all over us. The elder son didn't understand what was going on, didn't want to. And then what do we find? He will not go into the house and party, even after the dad says, listen, today we celebrate because my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. But we see from the father this aspect of forgiveness. And I want you all to understand as we take this journey together, because there's some deep wounds Forgiveness is one of those things that usually a deep wound has caused something against us and we harbor something in our heart and we have a hard time letting go of it. Now, I also, also want to say this. Listen, if somebody done you wrong and, and abused you or something crazy like that, now I'm not saying go back and just willy-nilly. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. We still got to take care of our business, amen? People have consequences. But there is a point where we have to let go of it and begin to let go and say, God, you're ultimately in control. I'm going to trust you. And here we see this father deeply wounded. In verse 12, it says this. It says, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. This is the younger son talking to the father. And what we see is a deep wound of dishonor and disrespect. Give me the share of the property and what's coming to me. Now, in this day and age, in this time, it was like him looking at his dad saying this, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I could have the stuff, and that's really all I'm after is the stuff, man. I don't want anything really to do with the family. I don't want anything to do with responsibility. I don't care what you think. All I want is the stuff, man. Give me the stuff. How much more disrespectful can we be to our parents who's labored so hard to, for, for us to be where we're at? I mean, you can imagine the wound of the father here as he looks at his son, but it gets worse. Then we see this dishonor to generations. He said, this son of mine was dead, verse 32. And what he's helping us understand is Whenever the son came up to his father and said, give me the stuff. I, I, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what you say. I don't respect you. I don't respect what you've spoken to me. It's all garbage, if you will. Give me what's mine, and I'm going to leave. What he was also saying is, listen, what grandma and grandpa built and great-grandma and grandpa, because one of the things that the Jewish people did have is they understand generational wealth. And he was going back through the generations saying, I don't need any of that. I don't want to listen to them. I don't want to listen to you. I want to do my own thing. That's heavy stuff. His father's poured his life into his estate. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm sorry that grandma and grandpa helped build this too, but I don't want anything to do with them either. That's the reason why he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son because what they would do in cases like this is they would even have funerals for the son. He went to a different country. He went to a different place. He's cut off from the family. He's out. He doesn't want to do what we ask. He's gone. 
because it was a culture of respect and honor. It's amazing to me how so many people want to do things biblical until it's their turn to do things biblical. That hurt, didn't it? You already had Jesus speak that to you. It's, it's, it's easy, right? And then the next thing that we see is this right here. We, we see this, this aspect of, of rejection. Now, all of a sudden, the younger son gathered all he had. So, so now he rejects his father. So now it's disrespect and dishonor to the generations and to things like that. Then we see rejection. The younger son gathered all he had. So as soon as those possessions came him, the father gave it over to him. Not because he thought it was the best decision, but he wanted his son to have freedom. See, you and I have things that we can do right in our life. And it's not that God always agrees with us, but we do have our freedom. And he says, give me what's mine. So basically what he said is all this land, this mine, how do you take land from one country to another? You can't. But what you can do is go down to the local banker or whatever and barter with them. And say, I'm going to sell you this piece of property right now for what it's worth. And I know in 10 years it'll be worth more. So I'm just going to go ahead because I want my money and I want it now. Basically, he looks at his dad and says, you're not enough. All that you've done, it's not enough, I'm sorry. I've got to go out here and figure out if this is enough because you're not enough. Deep rejection. As I begin to study this and conviction hit me, especially as we continue the transition of our church and I get to lead pastor and Pastor Mike is such a, a just he's our senior pastor and he's, a vivid part of this church and a vibrant part of this church and he's always going to be there and we were serious when we said hey listen Moses died before he stopped leading you're going to have a place because you can't do it on your own because if not then the people who have gone before you who have sacrificed blood sweat and tears I mean this is what he's going up to his dad and he's saying listen give me your estate and, and give me your livelihood and if you look at livelihood it means bios in the Greek which is your life that means your blood your sweat your tears you sacrificed for your family you've done things you didn't want to do and it was your very life that you sacrificed so we could be where we're at and it's not enough. You talk about a deep wound and convicting. Because as young people, what are we going to do with what our parents gave us? What are we going to do with what so many people sacrificed for? We see that rejection, it's just not enough, Dad, I'm sorry. Then we see rebellion, verse 13. He took a journey into a far-off country and he squandered everything with reckless living. Now we see this rebellious life. Dad, I know it's your house and your rules, but I want to tell you, your house and your rules just don't really matter to me. I mean, you've been good to me. You've probably thrown parties for me and gave me money and bailed me out and did all these wonderful things and kept a roof over my head and food on the table and shoes on my feet. And I really don't have a reason to be rebellious outside. I'm being rebellious, which Scripture says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So I'm going to be rebellious. 
I'm going to go off to a far off country to where the Gentiles are so I can take my new estate. And he was, it was enough. So Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17 in there, it talks about how they would divide up these states. The older brother would get two-thirds. The younger brother would get a third. So a third of this estate is substantial because he thought it would go fund his rebellious activity for the rest of his life. So he was dealing with quite a lot of money. And he said, I'm just going to go do it. And you see the rebellious. And, and, and forgive me for this, but what you see is the dagger go deeper into the dad's heart. Then the, the fourth thing, then there was the breaking of the trust. In verse 31, it says simply this, that all mine is yours. He had access to it all the time. And his father entrusted him with it. And whenever he began to entrust him with it, he began to use it for his own benefit, not the family's benefit. When it talks about estates in here, it, it talks about just goods, material possessions, when it's talking about what the boy's asking for, what the young man's asking for. When it's really talking about it from the, the father's mouth, he's talking about inheritance. That means inheritance comes with responsibility comes with values it comes with looking back on the history and seeing the people who have sacrificed and I'm going to do my very best to honor them because the reason why I'm in the situation that I'm in is because I had some people who's helped me and loved me along the way yes. so you can imagine as we paint this story now the trust is broke he looks at the elder brother and he says listen all, all this whole time if you wanted to kill the fatted calf you go kill it you could have done it. So it lets us know that the younger brother had access to resources, to finances, to different things like that, and his father entrusted him. And the next thing we see is, listen, I want what's mine, and I'm going to take it off. Let me ask you these questions. Do you feel dishonored and disrespected by somebody or something? Do you harbor that in your heart? Do you harbor, when you look back and see people disgrace what the generations have given us? Rejection? Have you never been enough for somebody? You've tried everything that you possibly could to be in a relationship with them, and you're still not enough. That hurts, doesn't it? Rejection is so difficult. Then we move on to rebellion. Have you had people in your life that you've just sold your life into? Man, you've given them things and you've blessed them and you've believed in them and you've just poured your heart and your soul and your life out to them and then they looked at you and said, I'm sorry, it's not enough. I'm going to go out and live like the world wants me to live because it seems more fun. I get so tired of that when I'm in relationships and I do counseling where there's just not any fun. Why? Because they have a job, they're keeping hours, they take responsibility. Is that the reason why they're not fun? But you've been there before, and these are deep wounds. And then we go to the breaking of trust, and I want to apologize, not that... Well, on behalf of Christians... I'm sorry if somebody in authority that's been over you have ever broken trust abused you or have done something to you. Maybe it was an authority figure. Maybe it was somebody you looked up to. Maybe it was a husband or a wife and trust is broken now and it's different. Deep wounds that are really real. 
But why do we want to save a seat for forgiveness? We must save a seat for forgiveness because it opens us up to things that God wants to do in our life. We can't continue to be a dreamer if we're constantly held back by the things that are behind us. And we have to open up our hands and say, God, I want you to take this situation, this difficulty. And we look in the text and we see a father that was a dreamer. He had every right to be justified. He had every right to have his attitude and his actions and all that other stuff. But something clicked inside of him. He looked out and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that I save a seat for my son. And I'm going to save a seat for forgiveness because there's some things that God can still do. Because see, when we save a seat... We make room, and the first thing that we make room for is confession. I love what it says here, verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Sometimes that's enough. We don't have to get in our prayer room and say, God, this is the reason why I have the attitude. This is the reason why I did what I did. God, have you seen that other person? Maybe we need to start out with, God, I'm a sinner, and you are not, and I need you more than you need me. And that's what the young man found out. See, we save room for confession, confession of sin. James chapter 5, verse 16, if we confess and we pray, then we're going to be healed, and that's what we want. We want to be healed. See, we need to forgive ourselves. Not only do we need to forgive other people, but other people need to forgive us, and sometimes we even have to forgive ourselves, don't we? It's the hardest one to do sometimes. But that confession leaves room for God to move and our hearts are open. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. God, I need more mercy in my life. And what we want, although we may not agree with it, is more mercy in other people's life. Oh, that's hard. Come on, we're talking about real stuff today now. I'm up here sweating. That's how serious it is, man. People have done us dirty and done us wrong, and it's frustrating. But we leave room for confession. We leave room because we save a seat for forgiveness. And when that person comes up and confesses, you look them in the eye and you leave room for that. The next thing that we see is we leave room for change. Whenever we save a seat for forgiveness, we leave room for change. Luke chapter 5, verse 22. But his father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And all of a sudden we begin to see what happened, the opposite of what happened in the, in the muck and the mire. So he's in the pig pen. And he looks up and he's starving. And he's around a bunch of pigs that he doesn't want to be. And smells like them and looks like them. And he comes to his senses that if I just go back to my dad, what has happened is this. That finally the outside world caught up with what was inside of him. Because the moment that he stood in front of his dad and began to be rebellious and began to reject him. And began to do those sinful things to him. His inside began to deteriorate. And it was just a matter of time till he got through all of his money. You know, God knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? You ran out of money, now I'm going to put a severe famine on the land. What's interesting about that is if you go back to Genesis and you look up Joseph and we see what happened with him, when the severe famine hit them, the only way you could get food is if you bartered, if you traded money or something that you had. He's out of everything. And he finally comes to his senses. And now he meets his father on the road. 
And his father looks at him and he says, you're my son. Come, come quick. Put, put, put clothes on his back and shoes on his feet and put a ring on his hand because my son's come home. Now all of a sudden the outside is matching the inside. Whenever he was in the pig pen and all of a sudden he had an epiphany that if I can go back and repent, then God or my father will take care of me. And now all of a sudden what has happened inside is now happening on the outside. See, whenever we save a seat for forgiveness, we leave room for change. And the truth is this, I can't change you, you can't change me, we can't change each other. Sure, we can inspire each other, but the only one that can change us is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we do what He says and we leave room for change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If anyone is a new creation of Christ Jesus, the old has passed away. So we cling to that. One of my favorite movies is Dumb and Dumber. Any fans out there? Might be the greatest all-time movie. Every time I mention Dumb and Dumber, people start quoting it back and forth. Well, one of my favorite scenes is whenever, whenever Lloyd Christmas meets Mary Swanson. And he begins to chase her. Anyways, he winds up chasing her to the Colorado Rockies. And it's a dumb show. Of course, Dumb and Dumber, it's in the name. But my favorite scene is he's standing before Mary and he looks at her and looks into his eyes. And I'm so glad my wife's name Mary. I'm so glad this didn't happen to me. But he looks at her in the eyes and he goes, I drove all this way to meet you. I just got to know, what are the chances of a guy like me getting to be with a girl like you? And she goes, well, not very good. <laughs> And the music begins to fade in the background, and he looks at him, he goes, like, one in a hundred, not very good? And she goes, he goes, just give it to me straight. And she goes, no, more like one in a million, not good. And then he says the line that we all know. His face brightens up, and he looks at her, and he goes, so what you're saying is there's a chance. We need to be more like Lloyd Christmas. Many times we're like Mary Swanson. I've already talked to that person. They're not going to change. One in a million shots. Should I do anything else for them? But we have something they don't have. We have Jesus Christ. And he can change people. So what we're saying is there's a chance. But we've got to save a seat for forgiveness. Because whenever we save a seat, we leave room. The third thing here is we leave room for Fulfillment, And bringing the fatty calf and they killed it and they let us eat and celebrate. Before he was in the pig pen all by himself. All alone. Nobody but him and God. On an empty stomach. And then we fast forward and all of a sudden he's getting to eat a fatted calf. What did he do? He went from slop to flamey uh, mignon. You can tell how many times I eat it I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> All of a sudden, he went from an empty stomach, he went from empty emotions, no hope, to now he's met his dad and he's run back to him and he's repented and he's got that rejection out of his life and he throws himself at his father's feet, if you will. Then all of a sudden, he begins to find true fulfillment in his emotions and physically. And he saves room for it. Lewis was a gentleman in World War II. 
He has passed on now, and he was a believer. 1938, he was in the Olympics. 1943, he was part of the bombing brigade. Mechanical failure struck his plane. His, pl his plane did a crash landing in the ocean. He was in the Pacific theater fighting. 47 days he was at sea. On the crash, eight men died and only three survived. Then after 47 days on the sea, only two of them were left. And it was in the midst of that 47 days that he said, God, if you'll save me, if you'll rescue me, if you'll change the situation, I'll live the rest of my life and do what you tell me to do. Now we know that movie is unbroken. And we see that he has every right to hate. He has every right to, be, to, un, to not forgive. He has every right to do those things. The way that he was rescued is a Japanese ship found him and then took him into custody. And then he was, went to three different, three different uh, prison camps in which he was abused and tortured. And if you watch the movie, it goes into all that detail or read the book. Yet this is what he said about forgiveness as he, his life began to change and he made it through the war. He said this, the one who forgives never brings up the past to that person's face. When you forgive, it's like it never happened. True forgiveness is complete and total. Sounds like something Jesus said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 through the Apostle Paul. Bearing one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Part of what God told Louis to do, Louis Zapparini, was to forgive. But he left a seat for forgiveness and it made room for fulfillment, but it also made room for life. And that's where we stop today. Whenever we save a seat for forgiveness, it makes room for life. Luke chapter 15, verse 24. For this is my son. He was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Lewis found that seat of forgiveness and was willing to let go of some of those things. You know, he came back to the States and he got married 50 years. Two children. Book was written about his life, a major motion picture, two documentaries. In the 1998 Winter Olympics, he got to be part of the relay team who carried the torch. And he carried it, <coughs> he carried it through Japan running past one of the places that he was imprisoned. Billy Graham came to him and he said, Lewis, I want you to share your story at one of my crusades. I wonder how many people got saved that day because they understood true forgiveness. That you can go through a lot, but you can find forgiveness in your heart to move you forward. This is what he says about that. I've made it this far and refused to give up because all my life I've had always finished the race. 
It's the race that God tells us to finish so we do what He says to do. And He says to forgive, not that it's easy and not that the whole process will be over in one day. Sometimes you just got to begin to let go and say, God, you move. Our heart's desire here is that every person would all not only know the name of Jesus, but they would bow their name to Jesus or bow their knee to Jesus. And the first part of that starts with the brokenness where you lay down your life before him and say, God, I'm broken and I need you as my savior. I need you to come in my life and change me. And I want to say to you, if that's you, I don't want you to wait another minute. I don't want you to come in here. Our desire is not for you to play church and act like everything's okay. Act like you're saved if you're not. Get your heart right with Jesus Christ because he's waiting on you. God, forgive me. Change me. Make me like you. But for my brothers and sisters in here, forgiveness is a hard thing. Do you have something that you're hanging on to? Somebody, something, and you have that unforgiveness in your heart. And it's stopping you from accomplishing the dream that God's put in your heart. Are you willing to lay it down? Go the next step further and say, God, I'm working on this thing. So here's the next time and here's the next time. And then ultimately, one of the hardest things to do, we have to forgive ourselves. We've rejected somebody. We've been rebellious. We've caused harm. God, help me forgive what I've done so I can reach to where you've told me I can reach to. Would you bow your hearts with me for a minute in your heads? Father, I thank you for what you're accomplishing in our seats right now. And God, this forgiveness thing is a real thing that we all struggle with. Because it's not fun to have those deep wounds and have to sort through the mess again. But I ask you to help us with that. Would you stand with me all across the auditorium? And as they stand, if you work the altars, would you come up here and stand real quick? Move quickly. And this is what we're going to do, and we're almost out of here, but this is a very important sermon. I'm going to ask everybody, because I know it's hard to be brave. I'm going to ask everybody to slip out from your seats and come up front. You never know, you might be slipping out for somebody next to you. And these altar workers are up here. And as you slip out, if you need to go to one of them and get specific prayer, I'm going to ask you to do that. But I want to set the stage that I want you to, free, to be free to do it. If you just need to come up here and stand a moment, we want you to do that. Because in the words of the Son, we are the words of the song. We got some things to do that they say can't be done. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we just come to you as a congregation of people knowing that we're flawed and have hurts. So this morning I know that some is just bearing their soul to you. Father, it's that person, it's that thing that they deal with internally. 
that God, they want to lay it at your feet, but they struggle with it. And today, I pray, would be the thing that would be broken off their life and they lay it at your feet, God. I pray for your grace and your mercy, God, that today they would leave different than when they came to the altar. That that person, that situation, that circumstance is left here, God, and they break free from it, God, to continue to be the dreamer, God, continue to do what you've called them to do. Oh, God, we feel your spirit in the place this morning. God, help us as we sort through this, that today is the day we start with forgiveness. Today is the day that we lay it down. And Father, for the ones who have struggled and tried, God, that you would encourage them and they would find strength in what they're doing. That one more time they're down here seeking your face, knowing that you can change anything and you can change anyone. Father, we thank you for that. And for anyone who's in the place that has not submitted their life to you, that the forgiveness starts there. They would give their life to you. Father, as we take this last moment here, thank you for what's being confessed. Thank you for what's being prayed for. Thank you for what is just being left on the altar with your people, that we're going to walk away from here and be different. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your children. Father, let us go out from here and be the light that you've called us to be. Let us do it with our hearts raised and our voices raised unto you, the true God. Thank you, Father, for helping us and allowing us to work through forgiveness because we save a seat so we can leave room for what you want to do. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the healing. Thank you for the change. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.